Um, we've been talking about diligence, and we even got this last week into some of the discipline. Um, you know, uh, you have to make your calling and election sure, and I think we talked about that a little bit. <clears throat> There's a part you have to do to make that election sure, and I think I'm going to get a little bit into the zeal and the hunger uh, today. But what's important is that um, God has lit a fire in us. He says, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. We have anointed in us. Would the anointing also be a type of fire, if you think about it? <clears throat> so God is doing great things for us. He said he would do those things, not us performing them ourselves, but he would do it. And he does that because he loves us. He does that because he's God. He does that because there's grace abundant. Grace is God performing the work in us. And what we have to understand is it's really not uh, anything we can do. We weren't so great that God had to come and save us. Uh, it's while we were yet in our sins that he came to save us. That's a great thing there. While we were messing up, God said, I'll die for the ungodly. He said that. That's what he came for. In fact, the purpose of him coming and the intent of the Father is to rid those that have problems of the sin that's causing them to be in the problem. And so what God does is he, he brings forth Christ to be the propitiation for our sins. And so he is the, the thing that the sin is covered by or is taken on. Uh, I think the scripture says he that knew no sin became sin for us. Even though he was pure, he had no sin, but he became it for us. And what that really means is that the, the punishment that's associated with it, the consequence that's associated with it, he took it upon himself instead of us having to suffer it. That, that's a big thing. Uh, that's a lot of love that God has given us. So we, we come to a point where we start understanding that God loves us so much, he made provision for us while we were yet in sin, and at the same time provides for us to walk out of sin and to walk into the Spirit. This is what God is doing. So he doesn't just leave us after he gets rid of the sin. He said, now there's another step. The other step that you have to have is you walk in the Spirit. Um, if, if you're going to be a son of God, you have to walk in that Spirit. You have to be led by the Spirit. How, how does it put those that are led by the Spirit of God? They are the sons of God. So if we're led by the Spirit of God, well, how do you know you're being led by the Spirit? This is a big thing. How do you know you're being led by the Spirit? Um, number one, there's going to be changes that will take place in you if you're truly following the Lord. And that's where the zeal comes in and the hunger, the fire. Uh, one time Jesus went into the temple and he made a little scourge. And he went in there and he whipped the money changers out, overturned the tables and stuff. And uh, you would say, well, that's violence. Man, that was, no, no, it wasn't. It's actually a fulfillment of prophecy. The prophecy said, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. And what it is, it's the zeal the Father gave him to purify the house of God. Who's the house of God? So the money changers are the merchandisers, the traffickers. Think of it this way. Those are the thoughts in the house of God that try to pull you away in the sin. Traffickers, merchandisers. They make merchandise of you if they can, but they traffic the things that are not of God, the things that oppose God. 
So that representation there, when Jesus goes in and overturns the tables and whips them out of the temple, he makes a, a very important statement. He says, uh, he said, my father's house is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. Well, what does the thief come to do? Kill, steal, and destroy. So, so he said, you've made it a den of thieves. You made it a place of death. You made it a place of, of theft. You made it that. And that's not what the father had the house for. So uh, now you may think he went into a natural building and whipped out natural men and turned over natural tables. The tables are the heart. The building is the house of God, you know, and there was wickedness in it. What about the seven churches? Didn't Jesus go into those seven churches and address the sin in each one of them? That's what he's doing. And when he, he tells them their sin, he tells them, now you must repent and when you repent, now I can give you a reward. That's the key. Repentance is the big key, guys. We have to repent of those things that we've done uh, within our world, within the temple. And, um, and the repentance is going to be shown by a difference in thought and consciousness, how you think. That's how it's going to work. So if you think differently than what you were before when you were in that, now the repentance causes you to think subconsciously in something else other than what you were thinking before. The flesh has a consciousness. The spirit has a consciousness. And those two consciousnesses always bump up against one another. And they bump up against one another through the flesh. The veil that veils Christ and the glory of Christ so that you can't see God is there with his glory to help you. It's hidden to you. Your eyes are closed. You know, you can't see. So there's something that the flesh does. It veils it to the point where it's trying to stop you from seeing what Christ is doing for you. Okay? So this zeal and this hunger, you have to have a zeal that you want to rid yourself of the thoughts of the flesh. The hunger and the zeal for God is going to be so great that what the flesh brings forth will be of no profit. You will come to a place where you don't want anything that flesh has. Now we do in some cases. If we're honest, there's certain things in the flesh that we, we live in, move in, think in, right? There's still vestiges of that man of sin working in us. There's still places of darkness. Or else, um, do we have the microphone out? So somebody read to me 1 Corinthians 4, 5, I think it is. I think that's where it's at. But just read 1 Corinthians 4 or 5. It talks about the hidden things of darkness and how Christ is going to shine that light on it. Um, I think I mentioned to you a week ago or so that uh, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Remember that? And, and what he does, he searches the inward parts of man, inward, 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 parts of a man, and brings forth the darkness that there. He show, oh, there's a spot of darkness. There's a spot so that it can be addressed. So read what 1 Corinthians 4, 5 does. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Yeah. So he'll make it manifest. Uh, whatever's of light will manifest, will manifest what's there. If the light is shining, it's going to manifest what's there. So it's a very important thing for us to understand. 
God is that light, but who else is the light? You are. Didn't he tell us you're the light of the world? A city set on a hill cannot be hid. All of those things. So you are the light of the world. Well, why are you the light of the world? Do you have the anointing in you? Is Jesus in you? If he's the light, then you have light. Now, how that light works in you, is it dim? Remember, it talks about taking a candle and putting it under a bushel. You know, is it dim? Is it hidden? Or is your light shining forth? In order to make sure that your light shines forth, you have to have the zeal and the hunger to seek after the light that leads. You want to follow that. Sometimes we get uh, distracted and go off the path one way or the other. But that distraction delays us for a while. But what we need to do is to make sure we can always find ourselves back to the path of light to follow that. Even if you are distracted, make your way back to the path of light. And this is what God wants to do. So he's going to shine that light on the hidden things of darkness that's in our world. Everything that thinks it's hid because the, the spirit tries, spirit that opposes God tries to hide itself, tries to hide itself in a lot of different ways. But what we have to understand is that nothing hidden before God. The hidden things of darkness, he's going to shine that light on it. How can it be hidden from God? It cannot be hidden from God. So he will manifest it. He will shine the light on it. So we have to have the zeal within us that we want him to shine the light. The hunger, Lord, please shine the light. I hunger for you to shine the light. I want that hunger in me that I always seek after you. I want that zeal in me that I always seek after the things of God. We'll perform the works of God that you, you perform in me. I'm going to do that. I'm going to walk after that. I want that hunger to say I will always serve God and never turn back. I want the hunger that says I don't want to take a step back in perdition. I want the hunger that says I will continue to follow you no matter what. And those that continue in his word, they are his disciples indeed. You have to continue. The continuing is the thing that God continues to, to give us. So there's a continuation from heaven of constantly feeding us his word and his spirit so that we may continue to follow God. God is doing it all. He's the dynamo. He's the one where all the power comes from. We thwart the power when we do something else, when we're distracted. The power of God is trying to come to us. Guess how it comes, guys? Through wisdom and understanding and through the Spirit of God. Does that promote the Spirit of God in you? You understand more of God. You understand through the wisdom of God. Will that promote the power of God in you? Because you have the understanding. You, you had a, um, a resurrection in you. You were resurrected to remember something God spoke to you a long time ago. We think these resurrections are new. Really, all God is doing is bringing the remembrance of his conversation with you back to you again. And then he raises it up. So the ear to hear is very important, huh? Because God is bringing his word back to you that he gave you from the beginning. That's a tough concept for us to think of sometimes. But he spoke to you. You had a relationship with God. You spoke with God. The word of God that you are was in God. And so that there was a relationship there all the time until there was a fall, right? Until there was a separation. What does sin do? It separates us from God. So when that separation happened, we couldn't hear him anymore. The dead know nothing. We couldn't hear anymore. But now God has brought everything back. We lost that first love. Is it back now? Is God joining us together in Christ right now? Is there a move of God on right now that's a form of a regeneration like it says in Titus? 
God is regenerating us. He is putting more life back in us. He's the dynamo that gives us the power. And then we have the zeal and the hunger to seek after him because he's provided the power to do it. We can seek after God. Our mind can be such that we seek only the things of God and not the things of the world. Do you know that we can get to that point? Oh, it's impossible. No, it's not. Not in God. If you depend totally on God, if you believe totally on God, you love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, don't tell me he can't bring you to a place of perfection where your whole thought is going to be on the things of God. How do you think the apostles worked? How do you think Jesus worked as an example before the apostles even came? How do you think John the Baptist did what he did before his head was removed? Think about that. Those things were done because the power of God was manifest and they could do these great things. So they moved in the Spirit of God. They were led by the Spirit of God. In John's case, he received the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. That's a powerful thing. He knew his job was to precede the one that was going to come. He said, I am not that light, but that light is going to come. I'm not the one, but there is going to be a light that's going to come. And he said, I'm not even worthy to latch his shoes. But that's the one. That's the Son of God that's been sent to you. That's been the Messiah. That's the anointed one. That's what's going to happen. So with this anointing in us, we do have a fire of God. He said you're baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. But there's, a, a, there's something we need to get to in this discipline and this zeal and hunger. The discipline is this. You're listening to a natural man speak natural words. That's true. A tongue bringing forth a sound from vocal cords in the larynx somewhere here. Okay, that's what you're hearing. That's what you can see here in this world as a physical manifestation. But we understand that the mind of Christ is speaking through the mind of the elder to speak the words of God to you. So even though it's enervated by the physical that you hear right now, I could cut it off in some ways, couldn't I? But it's being enervated by the spirit from heaven so that you can hear the words and those words have a spirit to them. So the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So do they have a life unto them? Yes, they do. It's the life of who? It's the life of Christ because he is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. If that life is Christ, the word was made flesh and, and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us how? In us here. Did it walk a physical earth? No, it walked in your earth. It walked in you. It is in you. So as this walks, as it performs its service from the Father, because the Father's behind it all, isn't he? As he performs those works in you, you should be ready to receive the door opening or the power to perform that work in your life. It's actually the grace of God performing it, but it's just like Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. There were there things that he did that turned out to be powerful things. I remember um, I often thought about when I was reading the book of Acts, he was in Lystra, made the people so mad, they dragged him out of the city and stoned him. And they said, oh, we did a good job. He's dead. And they walked off. God lifted him up, and he walked on to his next destination. That's powerful. They stoned him outside of Lystra because of the word he spoke. Was the word powerful? It was powerful enough to get him killed, but it was powerful enough to also resurrect him and let him walk on. You see how that works? That is so powerful. So we fear the things that might happen to us. What God is saying, no matter what happens to you, I'm still in charge. I have the power. 
So he, sto- he was stoned outside of Lystra, left for dead. They walked away. We, we killed him. No man could live through that. What we, the whole city came out to stone him. Uh, nobody could live through that. After they went back in, God raised him. God raised him up and had him walk to his next place, and he preached the gospel again. That's powerful, isn't it? Very powerful. Do you realize that same power is in you? Do you realize that that's what God is going to do with you in your world? In your world, there will be people that will kill you, even in your thought, in your dream. We always relate it to the people that are here on the earth that we meet and speak, and they can try to kill you in such a way. Don't people speak words sometimes that try to kill your influence or kill you or kill your, your personality or kill your love or kill whatever it may be? There are things that are be spoken that way. But really, our big battle is here. It's in the world. It's in the world that's in you. The man in that world wants to destroy you. Um, and that's just all there is to it. So uh, there was something I wanted to read. Dave read this Monday night. Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to explain something afterwards. I talked to him about it. We had a good talk. So Colossians chapter 2. There's a lot of admonition in Colossians chapter 2. A lot. God's, Paul is admonishing them. Um, I, I, I'm not going to read all this because it's too long. But they talk about at the very beginning of it a great conflict. you know. Uh, and believe it or not, the, even though it's the church that's in um, the Colossian church, Look at the church that's also written there, the next little place next to it, Laodicea. This is where the Laodicean church is also. Both of them are there. But what, isn't the Laodicean church the last church that's spoken to in the seven churches? And they think they're rich, but God said you're really poor. Remember all of that? You think you're clothed, but you're really naked? Remember how that works? Now listen to some of the things he's saying to this church. The Laodicean church and this Colossian church receive the word of Paul. Now, here's the thing. I'll give you a little background on this. Paul had not visited in the flesh yet to Colossians. So the conflict with the people is, well, he's sending us all this word and he's admonishing us to do this and do that. We've never even seen the guy. But Paul, look, look, verse 4, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Was he there? (laughs) They're wondering, how can this man admonish us and and bring us in order in the church? And we've never seen him. That's the conflict. We've never seen the guy. But by the Spirit, does he have the wisdom and knowledge to show them? These are the problems you guys are having. So now I'm going to address those problems. That, that would have made me think, you know what, God is truly among us. If he can tell you what you're doing and how things are working and he's never been there, wait a minute. Isn't that powerful? So, so look at this. Uh, he talks about to acknowledging full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. He's even going to talk to them about the mystery of God. And he says it's all hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are all hidden him in God, right? And then he goes to this. Uh, he tells him, he says, I, verse 4, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you. What man would beguile you? 
He'll bring up all kinds of stuff to say that you don't have to follow what this guy says. He would beguile you, wouldn't he? It's an amazing thing here. Uh, uh, he says, and as you've therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Did he teach him? Yeah, he did. Through the elders that were there and whatever, Paul was sending his word forth, and they taught them these things. Okay? Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Another beware. Another admonishment. Okay? Don't let anybody do that to you. He says, don't, don't let philosophy and vain deceit after tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. It's going to oppose Christ. But it's going to be things that men say, oh, no, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. This is how I've always done it. This is the comfort I have in this. This is the way I think about it. That's the problem. That's how we think about it. If we think through the flesh, these type of things will happen. And whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. He goes all the way through all of that. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. He's going through the whole thing. Christ has already done for them. Remember, he hasn't been there yet, but he's telling them what Christ did for them and how he established them. And that's why there's a church there. That's why there are people gathered worshiping Christ. He said, Jesus did all of this for you. And then he says, verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in me. Another admonishment. Again, here we go. He's talking about that man that keeps trying to change your thought. And that man is the man of sin. And sometimes it's just you as your natural man, not paying attention to the things of God. Going on in your own deal. How does it say that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Um, no one knoweth the things of a man except the spirit of man that's in him. Isn't that what it says? Well, no one knows the thoughts of men. Let me just clear it up for you. Except the thoughts or the spirit of that man that's in him. He knows those thoughts. Just add that word there and you'll get a lot of understanding to it. That's what it is. It's how he thinks. It's how he thinks. It's how he thinks. And if he keeps thinking that way, he can't receive the spirit. The natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit. Wow. So how he thinks is what keeps him from receiving the spirit. Do you realize that's what happens to us too? If we're not thinking right, we're not going to receive the spirit to be able to follow after it. God wants to give it to us. He is in us. The anointing is in us. But we're not going to follow the way we should unless we hear correctly i'm gonna say it this way you have a spiritual man in you right so here's the thing as the spirit of god speaks to you through this natural man but there are spiritual things going on if i tell you to do something physically can it be that god is doing something spiritually through that thing you're doing physically are you not receiving the word of god right now here's what i'm saying the spiritual man in you does he have ears the spiritual man so can he, the spiritual man here, and you not be just the flesh listening? That's how we start walking in the spirit, guys. If we can start letting our spiritual man hear what is being said from heaven through the natural man here, 
only it's not the natural man that's speaking. You see somebody stand here with clothes on and boots on and glasses or whatever, part bionic, got so much stuff on me, I got to get other people to make it work, glasses, hearing aids, whatever. But I can still speak, <laughs> I can still speak the word of God to you, right? God doesn't look at all that. He just says, be obedient to me, allow me to speak through you, and I'll speak the words of God to you. And those words will go into the ears of the spiritual man in you. That's what's being built in you, isn't it? The inward man, the new man. It'll go into those ears. But what happens is we bypass and let it go to our flesh sometimes. All we do is listen through the flesh and we never let it get to the ears of the spiritual man that's in us. And we say, oh, that's just a man talking to me. How many times has that happened? That's just Kenny. That's just this. That's just that. Why is he telling me to do something natural in this physical world? Because the Spirit told me to tell you to do that so that your spiritual man will hear by its ears. And when you follow what's being done, it will help you to overcome things that have you pushed down right now that you can hardly bear. So he said, but all I did was a physical thing. You did a physical thing prompted by the Spirit of God. And if you hear it right, it will help you overcome spiritual bad spirits so that you can become the spirit you need to become in God. That's what it'll do. It's a manifestation. So I understand that. I understand that sometimes I'll tell you things. I understand that God is trying to get the spirit to work in you. If you can get victory over something, even right here, what other things can God help you with and give you more victories in? How is our faith built? If we overcome those spiritual things, we look at the, the natural person here and say, that's what caused my problem. No, it wasn't. It was the spirit in that person. It was the spirit in you that caused the problem. So when you, when you cut that thing off and say, now, God, you've helped me to overcome it. Okay, you've overcome it. What did you just do? Did you just overcome a spirit by doing that natural thing just then? Oh, so something else must have been prompted for that natural thing, huh? It was for you to hear, hear by the spiritual man inwardly, the inward man to hear, and then follow and do in obedience. That's what it was for. The obedience will help you to overcome the spirit that has oppressed you. That's what counsel is all about. It's the Spirit of God giving you advice on how you can serve him better in the Spirit. <laughs> I'm saying a lot of things this morning. You may have to listen to it again. There's some other things that God is doing here. But we mistake them for flesh. Well, let's bind that flesh. Let's, what did it say to do? What did Moses have had to veil it? Let's veil that flesh and let's look at the power of God that's behind it. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So as I counsel you, are the spirit and life, the words I speak? Yeah. But how are they taken? That's oh, just a man talking. Just a man giving some advice. Really? You keep on thinking that. What if I told you I see things sometimes that where God is going to create a deliverance for you for the very thing you thought you could not be delivered from? That's how it happened with me. People spoke to me. Rick spoke to me and told me things. But did I have to carry them out in manifestation? 
Yes. The experience had to come, didn't it? Yes. Did that manifest? Yes. What is this physical earth for? You're going to know a lot about death and hell because you live here. The manifestation from that spiritual earth, you're going to see how it acts in this one even physically. You will. And you'll learn a lot about death and hell. And we've seen it in people. I've had people tell me, I'm in hell, I'm in hell, I'm in hell. And they were on drugs or maybe there was something else going on. You know what I mean? Uh, I, my own mother, I, she mentioned one time, she made a statement one time and it caught my ear and I didn't know anything about the Lord. But she was in hell because of her decision, some of the things that she did. It was an amazing thing for her to realize. It came back to me. She said, ah, I'm putting myself in hell. That's amazing, huh, for a person to realize that? Uh, Carlton Pearson, you know, a famous preacher, he was looking at some Ethiopian kids that were starving, and they're very thin, flies flying all in their face and in their mouth and whatever. You've seen those images, starving, no water, no food, no nothing. They're so skinny. Their heads are so big, but their bodies are so skinny. And he's looking at them. He said, ah, it's too bad they're going through all that and still have to go to hell because they don't know Christ. And, and, and God came to him and said, Carlton, they're already in hell. We've got to get a better understanding, guys. Better. Sometimes we're in hell right here, but it's of our own doing. Those little kids didn't do it, but the government that they're under took all the money, did all the stuff, wars. They're warring. They give kids guns to fight in the thing. You've seen it all. That's why they're in the condition they're in. It wasn't like, just all of a sudden, by osmosis, they were that way. He said, well, it's a poor country. Why is it a poor country? Think about it. Think about the leadership. Think about the, that's even in this natural realm. So can men put you in a type of authority that you go into a hell? Gee, Pharaoh did it to the children of Israel. Think about what I'm saying. So this manifestation, you know, we say, oh, you're judging. You're judging. No, there's some things that are going on there. And God is in charge of it all. If they would listen to God, do you realize how much all the nations of the world could change? In the 17th chapter of Acts, he said he took one blood and made all nations. God did that. So are we all brothers and sisters? The sons of Noah, when they came out of that, that thing, Noah, think about that. Were they the three brothers, Ham, Shem, and Japheth? And they repopulated the world again. So are we all brothers, all out of Noah? Yeah, we are. So who makes the differences? It's that thing. Here we go again. It's the man in your world. This is so powerful if you understand what God has done. So we're all brothers, everybody. The guy that wears the Ku Klux Klan hat, and if he walked in here and sat down among us, he's still my brother. We all came from the same Noah, the three sons, and we repopulated the earth. Gentiles are in it. Canaanites are in it. Jews are in it. Wow. But yet, all from the same blood and the same flesh of Noah. Wow. So are we all brothers? Yeah, we are. Always have been. It's man, that man of sin, that makes the difference. See the trouble in the world nowadays? 
You see this stuff? That's why I never, I was telling my wife this last night, uh, never should somebody that in this truth that we in should preach any politics, any race, or anything like that. They should not do it. That's not to be had in the house of God. Well, I'm so-and-so, and I'm so and I believe this guy. Those guys aren't going to solve your problems in this world. I don't care who it is. I don't care who it is. You know who's going to solve your problems? He's going to solve your problems in this world. Number one, they got the wrong world. Whatever happens out here, what if I told you God's going to always keep you? Let's bring this down to Daniel. In the book of Daniel, was under four different kings in captivity. What did God do with Daniel? Gave him favor with every one of them. They listened to what he told them. Even when, they, even when Belteshazzar had that impious feast, remember he was drinking out of the, the cups of the uh, temple and all that stuff, and all of a sudden, a man's finger came out of nowhere and wrote in the plaster on the wall. And he looked at it. That's all he saw was the hand. Think of that. And it said his knees smoked together. He got so scared. He was drunk, but he sobered up real quick. Real quick. Because he'd been drinking out of those vessels, lots of wine. They had a big party. And then his legs smoked together, and he realized, oh, mini, mini, tekel, you farson. He said, I don't know what that means when the thing wrote it on there. And that one of his advisors said, you know, there's a man your daddy used to talk to in the kingdom. Man, he's, he's blessed of the gods. You know, they think about their God. He's blessed of the gods. Well, who is this man? His name is Daniel. How come I haven't heard him before? Because you haven't done anything like your daddy did, getting advice from him. So go get him. He's still alive. Go get him. Got him, brought him up there. He said, if you can tell me what that is, I'll give you. He said, keep it, king. I don't need it. But I will tell you what it says. It says, your kingdom has been taken from you this night. <laughs> wow. The man of God has the answer. The man of God has the answer. You've sinned. You've been weighed. Didn't he tell me you've been weighed and found lacking in the balance? And your kingdom's going to be taken from you this night? Who weighed him? God. Oh, more sin than anything. Uh-huh. Oh, it's really tipping toward the sin side. Uh-huh, to the left. Yeah, sin, sin, sin. So your kingdom, you lost it tonight. So after the party, the Persians and the Medes came in and defeated him. <laughs> that night. Powerful. He didn't even know the enemy was waiting outside the gate. He never knew anything. Too busy partying. See, our, we get distracted by the things in our mind and our world and our heart and what if I was to tell you too busy partying with those thoughts too busy partying and doing things that are not according to the will of God but oppose the Father in heaven hmm God has been showing us here by all of these remember I was reading all of these admonitions in here why is he admonishing these people so much why is Paul doing that he'll come and visit them eventually but he hasn't been there yet. But why is he admonishing them so much? Because he's already seen in the spirit. He was there in spirit. The things that were going to be necessary, these distractions could cause the church to implode on itself. It could have if he hadn't said anything, but he said it. 
And he didn't care about their conflict, <laughs> about him not being. He could care less about that. He is working in the spirit. There's some more things here. It says, um, these people started worshiping angels. What did it say when, when uh, remember when uh, uh, John appeared, I think it was, and, and they bowed before him, the angel appeared, and he bowed before him and said, see that you do it not. We are of your brethren. In other words, that angel was a brother to him. He's an apostle, so apostle is an angel. So is he a brother? To him, he says, see that you do it not. I'm like you. We're both serving God. <laughs> and he made him get up. Isn't that true? Very good stuff. Because that's how it works. That's how it works. This is so powerful. If we can just get to the point of understanding what God is trying to show us, you have that same power in you. You have the same power. But they started worshiping angels. What does it say in the scripture for you to worship an angel? And then they did this thing they call, uh, we call, we give it a fancy term, asceticism. That means we start giving up things. Well, I, I won't marry and that'll make me more holy toward God. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll never drink a drop of anything other than water because that'll make me more holy toward God. Well, I'll fast for 40 days and that'll make me more holy toward God. Well, I'll go live on top of a mountain like a monk and wear poor clothes and just sit there and people think I'm holy because I'm, I'm a, I have this ascetic lifestyle. I withdraw from things and, they, and they'll respect me. I'll be like the Dalai Lama too. I might be a lot of wisdom and sit on top of a big mountain in Tibet. Or I might be the hermit that sits off there with the clothes on there. And say, he must be a wise man because he just sits there by himself and crosses his legs and says, mm. don't we seek out those people? We think that they have something. That ascetic lifestyle is not what Jesus did. Jesus sat down, ate, and he drank. <laughs> he walked, he clothed himself. Drank water, drank wine, drank whatever he had to do. Jesus did that. Sometimes he would tell the disciples, hey, have you any meat here? I went, no, Lord, we don't. Well, give me what you have. Well, we have some fish and some loaves. We'll eat that. That's fine. Doesn't make any difference. Bread. The two on the way to Emmaus, they talk, oh, come, come with us and stay with us a little bit. Break some bread with us. And that's just about all they had, too, was bread. Break the bread and eat. Some of us couldn't take it if we had to just eat bread or, or drink a little milk every day and not have anything other than that. Just bread? Yeah. But that bread's very important because what was he actually breaking? Yeah. See, this is my body that is broken for you. That's why he always blessed the bread every time when they ate. Give it to him, he would bless it a certain way because it typified his body. Very powerful, huh? And when he did it again, he said, oh, it's Jesus. Then they recognized him. Then he disappeared out of the sight, so... <laughs> All that time we were talking with him, didn't our hearts burn within us? Do you know that that's what, when you feel that, when you get an understanding of God, doesn't something change on the inside of you? I know I feel something. It's almost like there is a burn inside. You know, there's something, you're excited. You're with the whole deal because you got an understanding of God. It's working on the inward man is what it is. It's not this thing here. The inward man is getting excited because he's received something. The inward man. Isn't that cool to know that this is the way this works? So we're starting to get in a little bit to the zeal and the hunger. 
If you're disciplined enough, you'll have a hunger of the Lord to want to do everything he says to do. You'll have a zeal of God. You'll whip out those merchandisers that are in your mind, those traffickers. You'll beat them out of there because aren't you a type of Christ? Are you a son of God? Do you want that in the Father's temple? No, you'll beat it out. And what you'll do, you'll overcome it. That's how you do it, Patty. You overcome it. You take the things of God that you've been told, believe them to the utmost, have faith in it, be obedient to it, and watch it be overcome. And pretty soon it'll be at your feet, Jacob, and you'll look at it. And as you walk by it, you'll say, that thing will never get me again. You have power over it. Does that make sense, guys, what I'm saying? All of this, you see, these things all work together. They all work together. And it's being diligent toward the things of the Lord. That's all we're saying. So my thing, I'm going to end this. Let your spiritual man within you open his ears and let him hear what's coming from on high, what's being preached, and allow that to go within you. Don't just take it in by the flesh. The flesh can sit here and hear all day and never do a thing. Don't you know there are people that can hear the word of God every day, 24 hours a day, and never do anything with it? There are people like that. They just, they listen, yeah, but it doesn't have any effect on them. The effect comes from the inner man. Let him hear with his ears. And then go forth and be obedient. Love God. Have faith. Trust. Follow the light. Then you can do things like that. Does that make sense? This is what we're trying to do. So it's not saying, ooh, I'll give up this, I'll give up that, I won't do this anymore, I won't do that. That doesn't help. I'm going to worship these angels. That's not going to help. Worship God. Worship God. This is what he was trying to get at here. Worship the Father. If, he says, if you say he's your father, what does that mean? Do you have his spirit? Are you his son, his daughter? Say, I worship the Father. So why would you worship him unless you're his? Do you claim to be his? Yes, then worship him like that then. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him how? In spirit and in truth. If you say he's your father, you're going to worship him by that spirit. That spirit that's in you. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. He's looking for that. He's looking for the man that will open his spiritual ears and hear what he has to say, not the ears of the flesh. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anybody have any questions for me about anything that I said? There is a spiritual man in you. John 2.27, 1 John 2.27 says it. Go read it. It's an anointing in you. If you believe God, it's there. Does that make sense? It's good. 